Hi, this is Tzvi Freeman for Chabad.org. You may have read some of my articles on the site or seen some of my books. But for now, I want you to just sit back and let me turn your world on its head. Eight out of ten Americans will tell you that they have a soul that will last forever. But few can describe what that soul is. It certainly isn't your mind, your emotions, or your character. Those change from youth to maturity through the events and traumas you encounter over a lifetime, as well as through your own hard work to create new habits and attitudes. If the soul is forever, it could not be so malleable to change. All the more so, your soul is not your ego or your personality or whatever it is that you call yourself. Those are but superficial artifacts of life on earth, like the streams that appear after a heavy rain, taking whatever path the terrain will provide on the return to the high seas. Me, the song goes, is a name I call myself and not much more. You need such a name, a sense of self, an ego, in order to navigate life in human society. How could you understand you or they if there were no I? But it's a serious error to believe these flimsy pronouns represent anything more than a fleeting relationship to whatever the world is throwing at you in the current moment. Rather, the notion of a soul pulls us inward towards a far less audible and yet very resonant sense of who we truly are and what it means to be alive. It's a vital notion because it provides a context of preciousness to life, much as a frame for a valued portrait. Because life, for the soul, is an event as a day is an event for a body, a lifetime for the soul is a day to achieve that which it could not accomplish on any other day. After all, if your soul is forever, you must ask, what could be beyond forever that enticed me to abandon that bliss, if just for a day, to ascend within the temporal, to suffer the pains and sorrows of the body? What treasure did I hope to find here that I'll hold tight to my bosom on my journey home. That's the big picture, but the notion of a soul is more importantly a commentary on the moment now. When you say you have a soul, you're recognizing that beneath your persona, your ego, your reactions to people and your attitudes towards them, your joy and your pain, the places you go, the things you end up doing, beneath all your desires, needs and goals, as well as your most basic physiological functions of eating, breathing, and pumping blood through your veins. The fundamental explanation of all this is a single entity that drives it all, and yet transcends it all, as a limitless aquifer would remain unaffected by a bucket of water drawn from its well. You're not the bucket, not the water, but the endlessly abundant well. And the bottom of that well is a subterranean ocean of all the souls. And at the origin of the ocean of souls is the origin of the universe, so that all is connected as a single organic whole.
Indeed, the notion of a soul shifts how we view all of reality, because there's nothing that does not have a soul. The wondrous harmony of the physical forces of gravity, electromagnetism, the strong and weak nuclear forces, these are the modalities of the soul, of the earth beneath your feet, of the water you drink, of the wind blowing upon your cheek, the light and warmth shining down upon you from the sun. After all, when we say that the apple falls to the ground and the planets stay in their orbits due to something we call gravity, what do we really mean? Simply that there is a more fundamental explanation to reality than anything the eye can see. Nobody would say that gravity is the apple falling or the motion of the planets. These are phenomena that point to something that cannot be directly observed or measured. Furthermore, intuitively, we reason that it's not matter that somehow conjures up this talent of having gravity or whatever just by being a glob of matter. Quite the opposite. It makes more sense to us to say that out of the interactions and fluctuations of these fundamental forces emerge points in time and space that we call particles of matter, like glimmers of light in perpetual dance upon the waves of an endless and unknowable ocean. The perceived reality is an artifact of a deeper truth. This soul of matter that generates earth, water, wind, and fire determines the structures of the atoms, molecules, crystals, stars, and galaxies, and then wipes them away. It presents no heart, no meaning, purpose, desire, or agency. The classical Jewish texts say that this realm is mute, unable to speak of what it holds inside. Yet, as the structures of nature approach complexities that boggle human comprehension, you know, a quarter teaspoon of bacteria is estimated to contain as much memory storage as the entire Internet. So then those essential qualities of the universe discover a mode of expression. First, in the form of things that grow, propagate, and protect their own survival. None of this can be reduced to the laws of physics, and there's no mathematics to predict within any measure of accuracy the growth of a seed into a tree in any given terrain. A single strand of DNA, detached from its origin, directs an operation from beneath leaves, debris, and, if fortunate, animal feces, to collect carbon from the thin air, tap the streams of water beneath solid rock, and create a massive self-reproductive factory we know as a tree. Tell me it has no urge, no drive, no soul. And yet more so, those creatures that proactively run about seeking their prey, laying their traps, building their nests, dancing their courtship dances, and migrating great distances, in them we see far more openly not just purpose, but something we would call intent, doing something now for what will be in the future. This is the meaning of the word for soul in Hebrew, nefesh. It's a word that carries a sense of agency and desire. A dead leaf is driven in maddening circles by the wind, but a being that wants something, and everything it does is directed towards fulfilling that want, this, we say, has a nefesh. It is its own living being. 
The bee flies all the daylight hours of its life from flower to flower, not because its internal circuits contain such a program, but because it wants to. It enjoys pollen. Perhaps it enjoys the flower as well. It's a creature driven by its own desires. The same with a bird, a fox, a crocodile, or for that matter, a human being. They're creatures of desire, driven by their own experience of pleasure and pain. This is the most profound marvel of life in the soul. That a living thing is not a droid. It doesn't operate as though following some signal from a spaceship up yonder, nor does it neatly follow any program. Every attempt to reduce even the neurology of the simplest microscopic worm to some form of procedure has failed. The wonder of life is that this creature takes ownership of its soul just as much as the soul takes ownership of this creature, so that body and soul are one indivisible singularity. Within a living body, every organ, every cell, and every organelle behaves as nephish, as a willful living being that no algorithm or symmetry can satisfactorily describe. And yet altogether, they behave as one single nephish, with one will to live and to regenerate. And here's the distinction between the soul of flora and that of fauna. A blade of grass, a vegetable or a tree, is a thing with life. An animal is a living thing. Hold a live animal in your hands and you hold life itself. You hold intent. You hold meaning. Life, then, is matter transcending itself. At each stage of increasing neurocomplexity, the word transcendence gains new meaning. Within the human being, nature itself transcends itself. We structure complex societies and their institutions out of the tools and constructs of language. Then we live within them, only to discover that the only way we can sustain these structures and survive within society is by stepping out of our own nature and even out of our own selves. An animal survives by following its instincts. Human beings succeed by restraining theirs. Animals establish boundaries and defend them. Human beings, with language and arts, transcend even the boundaries of self and other. Indeed, this is the meaning of the notion of a soul, that there is no matter, that everything is spirit. And more, for soul and body to be one, it must be that there is a force that transcends both, a force that is neither heaven nor earth, but commands spirit to express itself within the tight, observable boundaries of a material world and lifts up the physical to resonate with the spiritual. As the narrative of Genesis starts off, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's neither, but he is discovered in both as they form a perfect unity, so that, in truth, Everything is divine.